Pathstone Mental Health is teaming up again this year with schools across Niagara to put up their wellness walls. And the walls are a space where kids can put up notes on mental health issues they may be facing personally or to talk about mental health in general for students or uh, maybe a supportive message. So kids generally have difficulty talking about mental health and the walls are, are designed to give the kids a safe space where they can talk about mental health. Andrea Boza leads the mental health programs at the Niagara Catholic District School Board, and she's with me today to talk about the wellness walls. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Janice. Uh, how many walls are going up? So you've been involved since the beginning of the wellness wall, so maybe you could tell me a bit about that and then just how many walls are going up this, this year? Uh, yeah, we have. We've been involved with the Wellness Walls uh, program since inception with Passed on Mental Health. We've collaborated with them um, and we have a great partnership. And, and since the beginning, we've actually had them in all of our schools. So we have uh, 52 elementary schools, uh, 10 secondary schools, and those include our alternative learning programs um, and also our adult education centers as well. So we've put walls in every single building. Um, they're in a highly visible place. So when someone's walking into a school, they should be able to see the wellness wall right away. What are what are the most common things that kids are dealing with? Yeah, absolutely. We, we've seen a drastic increase right now um, in anxiety, of course, um, because, you know, our, our students have been out of buildings for a long time now. So um, pre-COVID, we had students who were struggling with mental health issues. We knew um, Again, anxiety, depression, self-harm, um, suicidality, those were all things that we were seeing uh, quite regularly. Uh, so upon return, of course, those students have had some increased struggles, but we're also seeing struggles with students who previously, uh, we weren't seeing those struggles. School is typically a really safe place for students. Um, we know that schools create expectations, routine, um, they provide uh, places for students to socialize right, with other peers. Um, our teachers, our support staff, they're all, all supports to our students. And, and we know that many of their coping strategies are found within the walls of the school, right? They were engaging in sports or art or activities. And those were all things that helped to relieve some of the stress. Um, so again, being out of the buildings for such a long period of time has caused some anxiety, a drastic increase in anxiety. Um, and what we're seeing now really in the schools is, uh, you know, typical nerves coming back. We know that at the beginning of every school year, our students are nervous, they're excited. Um, but again, after being off for so long, we're seeing a greater group of students who are feeling those nerves. So they, you know, we all remember our first day of grade nine and how stressed we felt, how nervous we felt. It was exciting, but, you know, finding your lockers and who are your teachers and rotating classes, those were all new things. And Right now in our secondary schools, we're seeing, you know, our grade 11 students haven't haven't ever been in a building for a full year. So they're still learning some of these new skills and strategies that they typically would have learned a few years before. And, and same with our elementary schools, our grade one, grade two students are entering the building for the first time um, when typically they've had two or three years to learn some of those rules, um, how to connect with peers, social skills, all of those really important things that we learn early on in life. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, anxiety would be the number one thing that we're seeing in our in our schools right now and the about. structure um so we you know I, we're, we're gonna that that's sort of a result of COVID, and we really can't you know, get around that um so i see the connection there is is absolute i know that structure was a really difficult 
time for kids and for parents over the last year and a half because parents had to, many of them had to continue working virtually and they had to be able to provide some structure for their kids who, you know, like as you said, that that's where they get the structure at school. So they get to a certain age where, where they need that kind of structure. And um, I know that uh, I know kids who are going back to school and they're going into grade 10 or as you said, grade mm -hmm. 11. They never went into grade nine and at high school, you're getting kids coming from all different elementary schools. So it's not like your grade eight class is all moving on to the same school. So there are these new kids that you need to meet. So now they're going through the stress of meeting all of the, those new kids and, and the social um, element, even starting in elementary school, learning those peer skills, but it's a whole different ball game in, and what you're learning when you're in high school with your friends. Absolutely. And, and again, they're excited. We know, we know kids are resilient. We know that they have skills, but this is all layered on top of a year and a half of a pandemic, right? So they've, they've been at home. Some of them, um, unfortunately, some of them are in family situations that are challenging. They may be living, um, they're not getting to see their friends, right? They're not getting out. They're isolated. Many of the coping strategies that we've taught kids uh, were removed from them and not, not just kids, adults as well, right? So Typically, we talk about the importance of peer support or of um, seeking help if you need to talk to someone or getting together, getting out of the house, socializing, all of those things that I think we really took for granted um, or we didn't view as, as coping strategies. We just saw them as everyday life. So we were really trying to focus hard with some of our youth who were struggling on those independent um, coping strategies, which, which aren't so easy for, you know, 10 year olds, 11 year olds, the, the mindfulness techniques or listening to music or journaling, they're all great skills. Um, but to only have those skills for such a, for such a long period of time is a real challenge uh, for many people. In the remote learning as well, some some students had no problem with it at all. I've met some kids who would love to just keep learning that way and going to school that way, but other kids really couldn't connect on a, on a virtual level. Um, so stigma is a really big thing for kids. Every kid wants to be seen as the happy-go-lucky kid who's well-adjusted and having lots of friends. So they suppress this stress sometimes and the, the anxiety and depression, which we're seeing in so many, I mean, it's just, um, I don't know if it's because kids are talking about it now and reaching out to help like from places like Pathstone, or if kids are just feeling a little bit uh, more able to come forward and talk about mental health because we do encourage it so much. Absolutely. We've worked really, really hard in the school board, although the school boards across Ontario, we work with an organization called School Mental Health Ontario. And so much of this work is about prevention, awareness and promotion. And really, that, that's our best strategy for stigma reduction. And that's why we have something like the wellness walls by by making mental health and well-being visible in our schools. It encourages students to know that it's a safe space, that we're comfortable talking about it um, and that if they need the support, uh, it's there and, and we're actually directing them to the support, how to find the support. So again, for the stigma reduction, we have uh, mental health is now embedded in our curriculum, our phys ed curriculum, in our board and the religion curriculum. Um, we know that educators are being trained now. Uh, we're doing a lot of professional development around mental health because again, we want educators to feel comfortable talking openly about mental well-being in their classrooms. 
because when they do, students tend to open up, right? They feel safe, they feel heard. Um, and it's really important though, that as we're reducing the stigma, we're also uh, highlighting the importance of help-seeking behaviors, where to get the help if you're noticing that this is that you're identifying with this uh, and that you could use the support. And then wellness walls are actually a really safe place because you can post anonymously if you're facing some sort of an issue, you can you can post something that's in support, like I'm here for you, um, we can talk about it. And there are a couple of topics for this year. So social media risks and responsibilities, that's something we've been talking about for quite some time. Um, being an upstander and ending bullying, which mm -hmm. is part of social media and online, but also part of in person. So what does it mean when it says being an upstander? Yeah, so uh, when we're talking about bullying, we know uh, for a long time, we really focused on the bully, on the one person who was targeting people. And, and what we're now focusing more on are the people who are surrounding the situation. So, you know, being an upstander would be uh, not being a bystander, if you're watching or witnessing something happening in a school, that you play as important a role uh, in that situation by standing up for the person who's being targeted, by making sure that you're um, supporting them, you're advocating for them. Um, because again, we know that with, with young kids, with youth, power in numbers um, is really important. And often students don't want to be isolated. They don't want to be the person who's going to be the next target. So they, they stand back and, and it's really important that we're encouraging, you know, the more of you that stand up, the more of you that come together to support someone, um, the less we'll see the bullying in the schools. And you mentioned it, social media. Um, it's been a real challenge because um, bullying on social media uh, is much easier. You know, you're behind a screen, you're able to say things that you wouldn't particularly say in person. It's happening outside of the school walls. So again, in schools, things are supervised and monitored and we have great staff always keeping an eye on things. But uh, now it's happening when they go home, right? Students go home and they're on social media platforms, Instagram, Snapchat. There are so many ways to get to other students. So that's why we're really focusing on the social media presence and understanding the consequences that come with it. Um, and the fact that it's just as impactful to someone's mental health and well-being if they're receiving this you know, via a cell phone, a text message, uh, and it's just as hurtful as if it's in person. Well, if they're if they're posting something on on Facebook or Instagram that all of their friends are going to see, right? Your reach on the bullying is is so much larger. But on the flip side, it also is a way that the upstander can come on. So the upstander can come on social media. They could see a post by John and come on and say, you know, that's not appropriate. Absolutely. And I think um, that's that's what we're trying to do. You know, social media is not going away. So uh, we can't take an abstinence approach. We can't say don't be on social media. Don't don't do it. We know that students are on social media. So what we're trying to do is utilize it in an effective way. How can we how can we use this as a tool to build confidence, to build self-esteem, to be an upstander for those who are saying the wrong things? And, and that's really the approach we're taking. We work quite closely with public health and Niagara region. Um, because they've created some great programs and, um, again, education programs for students to see how they can use this um, to support other students or to support their own mental health. And one of the other ones is body positivity and self-love. So I know that passed down, the, I've seen a massive increase 
over the last year and a half in the number of uh, kids coming in with eating disorders. And uh, as early as, you know, 10, 11 years old, that are a res direct result of probably the lack of structure, that the uncertainty, maybe their living situation, as you said. Are you seeing that? I know that school year is quite young, but are you seeing that as well within students? Is that something that's a big concern for you? Yeah, yeah, you're right. We've just started, but um, this is a trend that we're seeing across Ontario. And um, again, we talked about anxiety, right? And the greater the anxiety, the greater the symptom development. So naturally we're seeing an increase in other mental health issues. Um, we work very closely with Pastor and I said on many com committees, community committees, um, where they share their numbers, their stats, the referrals, so that we can inform our treatment at the Catholic board as well. So we are, um, some of our social work team did participate in some training around um, self-image, uh, body image, eating disorders, and how we can support students in a clinical way in our treatment. Um, but we also, at the beginning of our school year, we did a professional development session with all of our staff, our entire school board, and our social work team offered uh, varying trainings. There were multiple topics, some focused around back to school stress or anxiety, um, but one was focused specifically on eating disorders, uh, self-esteem, and body image. And really, it was focused on how staff and schools can can talk to these students. What is the language we should be using? How can we make sure that we're not body shaming or um, guilting them? We really want to make sure that we're encouraging them to seek support. So we, again, we're, we're going from the prevention lens first always. We know that this is now targeted in our new phys ed curriculum. Um, we, we talk about eating and healthy eating, but also body image. And they've really embedded social emotional learning skills into the curriculum as well. Um, so that it can come from a positive lens. It's not, again, going to be saying, you can't do this, you can't do that. It's really about how to support them um, and how to recognize, right? As an educator in a school who's not a mental health professional, how can you notice that someone's struggling early on in so that we can intervene early before it becomes a full-blown eating disorder? Yeah, I think the recognition is, is really interesting because I talked to a parent whose daughter had a, started in, with an eating disorder in high school. She's now 36 and has not been able. Yeah. So I think that people can realize that too. If it's not caught and, um, you know, some, some intervention and some help, and like you're saying, um, health information at school and so on, this can be a lifetime problem. But it is also hard. So in the case of, of this mother, it was one of her daughter's friends who came to her and said, I'm kind of mm -hmm. concerned because I'm seeing that she's not eating her lunch at school. So I'm a little bit worried about her. The parent was having a hard time recognizing it because it's not that her daughter was eating less. She was choosing yeah. low calorie food. So, um, yeah, but it was her it was her friend who came forward. And I think that goes to what you're talking about is that sometimes it's your your peer who recognizes. And so if you're current encouraging them to come forward, it's very helpful. Absolutely. And I, I, we talk a lot about those peer relationships. What we know are that, you know, kids talk to kids. Of course, they there are trusting adults in every building and we're constantly encouraging and messaging the importance of reaching out for help. But they we know they tell their friends first, right? Who do you confide in the first time you're struggling or you're going through something hard? You reach out to a friend. And uh, so what we're really working on are some trainings around courageous conversations. So it's a fine balance, right? We don't want students to have to carry the weight of the world on their, sh on their shoulders. We don't want them to be 
the keepers of information. We're not, we're not trying to make them therapists for their friends because that's also unsafe, right? Those are students who have a lot on their plates and who are, have growing and developing minds at that time. So the trainings that we're doing now are, are more about courageous conversations. You know, if your friend tells you something, how can you reach out to a caring and trusted adult, but also how can you have a conversation with your friend about why, right? Because the, the student's biggest fear is always that their friend is going to be mad at them. You know, I'm not going to have a friend anymore. They won't want to talk to me anymore. Um, so how can you talk to your friend in a safe way about the fact that you're going to support them, but that you need to talk to an adult, that you need to have someone else step in and help. Um, so yeah, it's, it's those little pieces that we, we often don't think about, right? The, the little skills that students might not have. Um, and we also find that students are engaging in really long conversations with their friends. So if a friend is, is disclosing thoughts of suicide or something about abuse, um, we're hearing that students are spending five hours, you know, texting back and forth or on some sort of social media app, having this conversation. And we also know that, you know, burnout is real and vicarious trauma is real. And we don't want that student to experience that. So how can they redirect that conversation while still seeming like they're caring, they're supporting, and they're not dismissing their friends, their friends' concerns? Um, so yeah, Niagara Region Public Health, it, it really we're partnering on how to have those conversations through our school health nurses. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, peer support, I can see that peer support is is really important. And that's what the wellness wall is is really about. But I hadn't really thought about that. If, if, if you confide in a friend, that may be the only place you feel safe going. And then the friend is is kind of in the in, you know the situation with the with the girl who went to, you know, the parent and said, I'm concerned about the eating disorder. Well, you may not feel you can do that because you've been given us, it's a secret. I mean, it's yeah. between the two of you. Um, so yeah, I can see that the person who is, is, is being taught, you know, being told can say, oh, this is all, it's on me now. It's, it's uh, too hard. Yeah. Absolutely. The other thing, oh, sorry. No, I, I was just, you know, you said a great word and that was secret. And I think that that's the that's really what we're talking about with stigma reduction is the idea that we don't want mental health to be a secret, right? It shouldn't be some scary, um, dark secret that you can't share. And that's why we're messaging that these should be open dialogues, right? These should be conversations we're having every day embedding in our regular conversations um, so that people feel, like you said, feel like it's safe to tell someone. And one of the other things that the wall is encouraging is older students, the more mature students who have gone through, you know, maybe they're in grade 11 or 12 and have gone through these, um, the angst of, of growing up and so on, are using the wall in a way to support and, and kind of lead mm -hmm. the conversation. And just, you know, a kid can go look at the wall and say, man, there's my problem. And here's this student who said, this is how they solved it. Or, or hey, or, or like just a, a post-it note that says, you know what? I know this happens. It happened to me. You know, talk about it. Absolutely. And they're, we're using these as leadership opportunities as well. Like you said, we're, uh, we're very mindful that um, sharing lived experience is really important. But that, again, we don't want to put that on our, you know, 15, 16-year-olds where, you know, they're sharing some really some deep things. And we want to make sure they're not victimizing themselves either. And that's why we're coming from that promotion aware, awareness lens. You know, you see the sticky notes on walls where students are saying, this is what helped me, or this was the person who helped me. Or when I was feeling down, 
this was the skill that, you know, really benefited me. And, and kids are going up to these walls, they're reading these messages, um, some that include coping strategies, but others that are just messages of hope, right? It gets better. Um, we know that sometimes um, these times pass, that those types of messages are really important for students. Um, and when we've asked students about it, that, that's the feedback they're giving us. Um, we also made sure that, uh, that youth were involved in creating the walls. So uh, Kim Rossi, who is with Pastel Mental Health, she met with the mayor's youth advisory committee and asked them, you know, what would be effective? What is impactful? What we think is effective as adults is not always what students like. Uh, so they helped design and create the messages that were going on the walls and the topics and themes so that we really could get to kids so that we knew we were using the right messaging and language. So it's, it's literally kids right from the, from the get-go helping kids and it's it's them designing the program instead of you know adults or therapists saying this is how it should be and i know that pathstone is of course our children's mental health agency here uh, counseling and they they do so many things i can't even go into the list we'd probably be a half an hour on that <laughs> but the idea as well is if there is a student who's struggling is to be able to i'm sure connect with their parent and then connect them with Pathstone in, in whatever way they, they need the help. Absolutely. So we, um, we are messaging to schools outside of the walls, crisis numbers. We have, we have uh, posters on walls. Our, our teachers are talking about it in classrooms. Um, but again, we know that those, there are some students who just don't feel comfortable. So when they go to the wellness wall, although it's focused on prevention or prevention and promotion, and there are stats about mental health, understanding some of the mental health issues, but there's also a QR code. So a student can scan their, use their phone, scan the code, and it takes you directly to the Pathstone website, which shows them the crisis numbers, the walk-in services, the counseling services available. So again, that, that small number that may be missed in the conversations or who aren't comfortable having those conversations can still access those community supports on their own. Uh, simply by looking at the wall. It, it's big, it's in your face, and they can see the number if they need it. How do parents contact you if they're noticing that there's a, a struggle with their, their child, they're worried, or um, it, it, do they, can they come through you to be connected into Pathstone if they're not comfortable really or don't know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. So we have, um, we have varying processes in our board right now. So we have uh, two layers. We have our child and youth workers and they are in all of our schools and they're providing evidence-based programming in our classrooms. So they're really focused on social skills, bullying, positive relationships. And uh, we have many programs that they're running right now. And, and this is to have students start talking. So they are often on that first point of contact and many students confide in them. Um, if a student needs more clinical services, like we're looking at social work support or therapy, uh, a family member could go directly to the school principal and every principal in our board has been trained in the process. Um, they can reach out and consult with me and there's a few different avenues. They would either help uh, them and myself would help walk the family through community resources, which would be through Contact Niagara um, and completing an intake to, to then go to Pathstone Mental Health or they could do a school-based referral. So we do have social workers in our schools. They're working with students with mild to moderate mental health issues, school-based issues. Um, and that's also to remove barriers. If we know transportation's a barrier or getting to an appointment in a typical workday, it might be challenging for a parent. So we do provide services within the schools. And we also have some programs through Pathstone in our schools. They have school-based social workers who come to our buildings as well. 
So it's all, it's all executed through the principal. It would simply be reaching out and saying we're looking for support and the principal would walk them through the entire process. Thank you, Andrea, for, for talking about this. I think given what kids are up against right now, it's, it's so important. Thank you so much for having me.